Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM in HD Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by nobody. I think the rest of the OBS boys are still nursing their hangovers from last week's fabulous Triviata event that we did at the Mid-America Club in the Aeon Center in downtown Chicago. That was with the Lyric Young Professionals organization. Just a total blast. Thank you so much to everybody who came out. And for any new listeners that are joining us, listening to the live show, the live stream on WNUR.org slash pop-up or as a podcast on Apple Podcasts. All right, tonight it's a best of show. going to start with the day that co-host Matt Cummings joined the show and I put him through his paces with some trivia. It's a good connection to the Triviata event from last week, so you can play along at home, of course. After that, it's a rebroadcast of our interview with Facebook Live sensation Jakob Josef Orlinski. He joined Oliver Inside the Huddle last year. And then at the end of the show, Tobias Wright walks you down the hallowed corridors of the OBS Hall of Fame with a look at the life and recordings of one of his favorite opera singers. That's going to be around 9.40 p.m. Not taking any live phone calls tonight. Just going to enjoy some of the rebroadcast and the highlights from the past year as we celebrate the hometown parade of the team that won Triviata. I guess that's us. Not a lot of sports Happening this week, the NFL draft is in play. I was confused that the Bears weren't picking higher. I think they traded a pick, probably. The Bears had a great season last year. I'll be interested to see if they're able to improve on it. We got a lot of time, though, before the Bears start playing. We got to suffer through a Cubs season of likely undeniable mediocrity. Thanks again to all our listeners joining us for the first time on Opera Box Score. If you are new, you'll want to know how this show began. It was back in 2014. I was making my New Year's Day pot of chili, and I figured there needed to be a show that highlighted the similarities between opera and sports. The athleticism of all those people, singers, and sports legends, the fanaticism of the fan bases, and I figured we could do a show that took opera content and body slammed it into a sports talk radio format. Here we are four seasons later as the only live weekly talk show about opera in America. Sit back and relax. Enjoy a triple header of best of starting off with Matt Cummings and trivia. This is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and oh yeah, Matt Cummings. Yeah, dude, this is for real. Thanks, Norm. Pop quiz. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I had Norm bust that out. Um, we haven't done pop quiz in a while, actually, either. Uh, so here's the deal. I got ten micro lists here each with four things. And one of those things is not like the other. All you got to do, Matt, is just tell me which one of those things doesn't fit. You get it right, you get two points. Okay. If you need a hint, that's cool, but I'm going to take away a point. Sure. So 20 points possible. What's, what's, your, um, 
What's your goal? Like, what do you what do you think? Knowing that, what do you what are you gonna aim for? So I'm not gonna lie, I'm shooting for twenty. Wow. But we'll see we'll see how mean you are. Okay, I had you down at fifteen. So I, I won't be mad if I if I, as okay. long as I clear fifteen, but I, I'm a perfectionist. We'll keep, a, we'll keep a close track on this. And none of them are audio, by the way. We're gonna save the audio for the second segment on the show. Stick around for that. Uh eight twenty excuse me, nine twenty central, by the way, talking Met. Talking a lot of Met today. It's upper box score. WNUR 89.3 FM, and you can give us a call, 847-866-9687 if you want to play as well. Okay, so let's do an example. Sure. I say, così fan tutte, le nozze di figaro, di Zauberflöte, and Don Giovanni. So those are all Mozart operas, but di Zauberflöte does not have a libretto by Da Ponte. It's by Schikaneder. And to that... I would have to say, correct. All right, man. So here we go. Question one. Johnny Skiki, Turandot, Swore Angelica, Il Tabaro. So Turandot is not in uh, Il Trittico, the triptych, uh, which are the other three are all one act. And Turandot is three Boom. or two and a half. Yes, sir. You got it. Nice job. Two points. Here we go. Ronaldo. Alcina, Giulio Cesare, La Serva Padrona. La Serva Padrona is by Pergolesi, and the other three are by Handel. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-oh. I think uh, Cedarquist over here might be a little bit of trouble. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I, I feel like I should, I should give you a bonus, because you knew that was Pergolesi. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll make a little note of that. All right, number three. We're going to make it a little tougher here. I'm just going to give you last names. Okay. Costanzo, Polanzani, Fabiano, Brownlee. So, uh, Anthony Roth Costanzo is a countertenor, and the other three guys are, are tenors. <laughs> my, my voice type, George. I'm in my home field advantage. That's, that's, why, that's why I did it, dude. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, Michael Fabiano, we're hoping to get him on the show, actually. That would be really I'm gonna, great. I'm going to tweet he, him after this show and see if he could do it. Do you know Do you know his work at all? Have you ever seen him? So I've seen the audition, and I think he's popped up in some Met broadcasts that I've seen. Okay. I can't remember if he's ever come through Chicago since I've been here. Yeah. But yeah. he's a great, great voice, and I really like how, mu- how vocal he is about his opinions and really right. trying to demystify the art form. Plus, he has like uh, a pilot's license, I believe it is, and he used to be... A minor league baseball umpire? Man, not sure if I got that right. He umpired at some level in the minors. Interesting. Strange. Here we go. Number four. A Midsummer Night's Dream. The Rape of Lucretia. Albert Herring. The Turn of the Screw. So those are all Britain operas. Right. Midsummer Night's Dream is the only one that's by Shakespeare. Is that where you're going? That's not where I was going. That is is correct. I'm going to give you one for that. Think about the casts. Think about the, the types of people that are needed to play these parts, not the voice types. Yeah, at one point. What was the uh, what was the third one again after Albert Herring? Midsummer Night's Dream, Rape of Lucretia, Albert Herring, Turn of the Screw. Uh, there's kids in Midsummer Night's Dream and. Uh, turn of the screw. So you're getting warmer here, buddy. But <laughs> I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna give it to you. Yeah. It is kids. There is a child in Albert Herring. Harry is one oh, of the Oh right, little... Sis and Emmy yes, are exactly. the little kids. Maybe Lucretia, no kids in that, at least not when I directed it. Uh well we'll give you a point for that anyway. Number five, Donna Del Lago, La Sonambula, Norma. E. Puritani. Donna del Lago is a Rossini and not, not a Bellini. Not a Bellini. Exactly. I'm Making me hungry. You got it, man. Two points. All right, here we go. Number six. Orfeo, Faust, Tales of Hoffman, Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And you would think that Jesus Christ Superstar is the one, but... Orfeo is... Oh, no, Tales of Hoffman is the one that is not being done in Chicago this year. Oh, my gosh, dude, you're rocking it. <laughs> That's absolutely right. D- did the Jesus Christ Superstar give it away? Kind of. Well, I, 
Once you heard that, you knew. I I figured that's where you're going, but I have to say, I want to see every. Oh my gosh, Cummings! I cannot <laughs> wait to see that show. Are you kidding me? I I have literally no interest in seeing Puritani. Oh, I grew up on that concept <laughs> album. I'm so excited. Dude, you'd be both. That'd be great. All right, number seven. Here we go. Fort Wengler, Boom, Klemperer, von Karajan. They're all conductors. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're all dead. They're all dead. So, so um, far, there's a lot of unity. I want to say that von Karajan is Austrian and the rest of them are German, but I'm not sure if I'm picking the right one. I'm gonna give I'm you. A, I'm gonna give you a point for that because you got the right thing, but the wrong person. But the wrong person. Which one is it? Carl Boom. I did not realize that he was, was Austrian. Austrian. I guess because he performed in Dresden so much, I thought that yeah, was where exactly. he was gonna yep. be from. Other guys were German. He was Austrian. Uh, still got one point for that. How you doing right now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. With uh, three questions to go. Here we go. Guillaume Tell, the Magic Flute. Falstaff, Tristan, and Isola. You might come up with some other hmm. one of these things is not like the other for that set. There's always a couple options, I guess. Guillaume Tell, Magic Flute, Falstaff, Tristan, and Isolde. So, oh, no. You gonna think out loud here? <laughs> So I was trying to see if it was something like the language of the opera mm-hmm. is different than where it's based. Yes. Because okay. all of those are all of those are based all of those are kind of famous about their location, except mm-hmm. Magic Flute, which is sort of doesn't really. Well, do, I mean, it's in Egypt, Egypt-ish. but it doesn't really mean yeah, anything. Exactly. Exactly. And you know the composers: Rossini, Mozart, Verdi, Wagner. But I am. So it's not. It's going to be their last opera that they composed right yes and so you've got a point for that technically i want to say that don't you don't people usually say that clemenza di tito was is counted as mozart's last opera or uh i would have said magic flute okay so, so in that the, case that i'm gonna say tristan yeah exactly right yeah you you got it you actually you got you got two points for that one tristan was not the Last Opera by Wagner. That would have been Parsifal. Parsifal. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you got that, man. Number nine, just the last names here. Sellers, Alden, Kosky, Newberry. Uh, those are all directors, except Kosky, who I don't recognize. So I don't know who that is. <laughs> but. You're absolutely right. They're, uh, they all are directors. Barry Kosky is not American. Okay. Barry Kosky is Australian. So that's like, that's like a know, one or a two. Yeah. You're gonna, uh, we're going to be tough on you. That's a one. All right, last one. Here we go. Deutsche Oper, Komische Oper, Staatsoper unter den Linden, Nationaltheater. Those are all in, uh, the, the first three are all in Berlin for sure. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that the Nationaltheater is also, but it's not an opera house. <laughs> You're so close here. Uh, Nationaltheater, it is an opera house, but ah. it isn't in Berlin. Okay. It's in Weimar. Really? There's one in Weimar and there's one in Mannheim. Okay. I would not have known that one. What a so. la- Mannheim, what a lousy town. I've never been there. Been to Berlin. That's a a crummy town. Weimar is really cool. But, okay, wow. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. Cummings, you beat my thing. I said fifteen for you. You, I'm going to have to say, some of those were trickier than, they, yeah. than I thought you were going to go. It's hard to, it's hard to know sometimes if yeah. it's too easy or if it's, uh, if it's too hard. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. 
Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear-a-hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Welcome back to Opera Box Score. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist in the house with Weston Williams. Oh, yeah, in the house. And it's just the two of us, man. Yeah, just the two of us, just hanging out, talking about Right opera. now, as Weston and I are doing this show, so creative consultant Oliver Camacho is probably screaming bravo at the top of his lungs for the Chicago debut of Jakub Josef Orlinski, who is debuting with Chicago's Music of the Baroque Orchestra. Oliver caught Orlinski between rehearsals and asked about the viral Facebook Live video of him singing Vivaldi and how he learned to sing wicked fast but expressive coloratura, how he writes original-sounding ornaments. And yes, they do talk about that whole breakdancing thing. We're going to start by listening to some of the De Capo section from that now notorious video taken at the Aix-en-Provence Festival last summer. love for you to say your name slowly into the microphone because I think people are intimidated by by diacriticals and you have a lot of them in your name they're not complicated <laughs> ones they're just like little you know accent aigu you know yes, but exactly. they're over consonants so oh my gosh so let us hear how you would pronounce your own name Jakub Józef Orlinski okay so I hear in the Orlinski a little bit of a palatalized yes uh, that's like so could you say the Orlinski part one more Orlinski. time? Orlinski. Orlinski. Yes. Okay. But, you know, it's like just I travel so much. Everybody yeah. can make a little change here and there. So it's like in France, in France I'm usually Jacob. 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 <laughs> here I'm Jacob, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice. I like it. All right. Well, here we are with Jakob Josef Orlinski. Um, I have to say, and I'm sure this, is, this holds true for a lot of people, my first experience... Uh, of you as an artist was this viral video from uh, <laughs> of you singing Vedro con mio diletto and you're wearing like cargo shorts and like some you know shirt rolled up at the elbows and like gym shoes and you look like a bro you know what this term is bro? yeah yeah you look like I a total bro. <laughs> and then you're a countertenor with this ridiculously gorgeous voice and singing so expressively, like with real gestural phrasing and with like that type of tone quality where it's like a knife, you know, like cutting into your heart, you know, oh, wow. and it touched a lot of people. And I think a lot of people maybe who don't even like countertenors were surprised by this video. So oh, wow. how did this video come about? And, I mean, and you also have a pretty good social media game. So if you could just talk a little bit about your... I mean, this whole thing was crazy with yeah. this video because yeah. this is one of those examples like you never know what's going to happen because yeah. I just, like, I would I would give it the title that I always just, like, like to, to yeah. sing. So yeah. we had our premiere of Erismena um, by Francesco Cavalli uh, the day before. That was Friday. Friday night we had a, we had a performance then we were like just celebrating drinking you know and then uh, 
Marie-Céline from uh, Festival d'Aix-en-Provence asked me if I want to sing tomorrow at the, this kind of interview because somebody cancelled on them and if yeah. I could just sing like, you know, four minutes, five minutes and yeah. I was just like a little bit drunk, you know, I was enjoying the <laughs> premiere and I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'm gonna sing, I love to sing. <laughs> so the next morning I'm waking up and I'm like, oh my God, uh, hmm, where is my voce? Where is my, where is my voice? <laughs> so uh, then I decided, because I usually sing in those kind of interview-like yeah. things, I sing coloratura arias, because yeah. people like when there is like fireworks and all yeah. that stuff, but I was like, mm, this time I feel like I should do something different. So I, I chose Vedro con mio diretto. I had like 15-minute rehearsal with... Uh, uh, with with with, with <laughs> my pianist piano. Alphonse, <laughs> and uh, and I asked them if like if there is any dress code because you know I'm just like I don't know it was was, the, was it hot that yeah, day it was extremely warm it okay. was extremely warm yeah. and I sent a text and like is there any dress code and in the reply I was like I got the the message um, no it's a radio I mean Jakob like <laughs> just think there's no there's no one gonna look at you and then I'm coming to the place uh-huh. and it's in a beautiful Beautiful patio and yeah. and, and there's there seats live audience there. and there is like live audience. Yeah. Uh, there is like a little stage. There are like four cameras yeah. and I'm like, hey, <laughs> hey, what, what is what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, there's a, like a live transmission on Facebook and you know it's gonna be all fine. Yeah. And you are the you are the last one. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm wearing all that stuff like those like you know those shorts and yeah. this this shirt. And it was too late to like just go on uh, to to go back home and like change. Yeah. Yeah. And my pianist in, in his flip-flops. So yeah. uh, so that was pretty, pretty, pretty funny. Okay, well, I'm glad we brought up two topics in that. We talked about Cavalli and you talked about Coloratura. And I want to yes. do both of those topics. So, you know, Coloratura, Baroque music, this is usually what draws people in because it's exciting, you know. And I do yes. want to talk about that. But for me, singing Cavalli is something else entirely. And um, there's a type of singing that you do in this era of Baroque music which is much more, um, you know, paying attention to the text and understanding the rhetorical devices of the music. Exactly. And this is something that a lot of people don't ever get around to doing. I mean, it's like not in everybody's repertoire. And there is a video of you singing with La Pregiata. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're singing the beautiful Lucidissima Face from, um, si, from uh, La Calisto. Calisto. One of my favorite arias and like the type of aria that can just break your heart. You yeah, exactly. So... Will you talk to me a little bit about singing in that style and how you are so skilled in it? Somebody your age, you're 27, I don't expect to, to understand music that well. And um, I think we, in the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about you know, ensemble singing in Poland, doing medieval music. So I don't know if it's related to that, but I'll let you answer the question. I, th- I, th- I will start with, with what you said about the ensemble singing. I think it has a humongous input in, in my career in general because I, I used to sing in a, in a bigger choir uh, as a boy alto and then we moved on to medieval chants, like moved on to, to like an ensemble of, of just men singing medieval chants for three voices. I was singing as a bass baritone and then moved on to Renaissance pieces, which are like really complex. And, 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 and I was singing as a countertenor, not even knowing that you can call it a countertenor <laughs> voice. But the thing that I've learned, and I, I think it's one of the most wonderful skills I, I have, is listening and reacting. So when you are in an ensemble, you have to blend in. You have to be one of those 9 to 20, whatever it is. You have to blend in and like react of like to your partners and I think that's something that helps me a lot in this kind of music and all kind of music I'm doing because I am treating my my pianist my my orchestra like the the orchestra I'm playing with as partners like they're my collaborators and sometimes I have to like in solo singing you have to be like above that that whole thing that whole structure but sometimes you have to really come from that point where they are like from the same quality of sound and like just blend in and come from nowhere so like mm-hmm. this is something which really excites me and 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 it's just unbelievable and with the with the early baroque pieces like uh, cavalli there is a lot of text and the the whole 
like pressure is on on the on the lyrics mm-hmm. and you have to just really understand what you want to say and what you what you are saying like what those words mean yeah. because you know the, the the this this kind of italian the old fashioned italian mm-hmm. is a little bit different so like that's why usually i translate word by word mm-hmm. even though like it doesn't make any sense and then above that whole thing i am uh, doing the whole st- uh, translation of the whole sentence yeah and then i know like which world ex- word exactly i want to highlight and what does it mean to me i mean like yeah. I, i try to just like have this filter of like what does it mean to me and what yeah. i want to 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 show what i want people to feel or even like feel something but like yeah. i want to like just ex- exposure some 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 things and in this music there are a lot of a lot of recits which people find sometimes boring but yeah. if you do it with with right people with right basso continuo group it's even more exciting than the most di bravura aria you can you can find yeah well i do want to talk about your ability in you know the coloratura just tell me how you discovered that part of yourself and and how you learned to write your ornaments. oh gosh <laughs> It was a long journey. Yeah. So if it comes to coloratura, I've never had a coloratura. Like mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who like just I just closed myself in a practice room for a couple of years and I kind of learned how to do it with good teachers. So they but told me to a, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you have to have a brain for it too. Like there's the so many note part of it, but also understanding the pattern of the of the of the coloratura. Yeah, but like, this is this is exactly the the thing. It's like aria di bravura. You have those coloraturas which are like I don't know eight bars long or sixteen yeah. bars long, and you have to find find a pattern, mm-hmm. and you have to practice it in all sorts of way mm-hmm. to actually not think about like every specific note, but mm-hmm. about like to think of the line because yeah. actually in those aria di bravura di bravura it's it's also like that that coloratura has to is picturing something like that's an emotion yeah so that's why this character is going so crazy because like he wants to like i don't know show they mean something exactly yeah. Yeah. so like if you just sing it very technically and very motoric like then it's boring it's impressive but it's yeah. it's boring yeah. like if you learn how to do actually phrasing within the coloratura that's yeah. i think the next level which i uh, i wanted to find because yeah. um, it took me a long long time to even learn how to do it in a very technical very you know just like to be selective and and in tempo which i start like always start i, I always start with uh, from that point but then i try to find those those ways to make it even more exciting to do like all those effects like volume d- effects yeah. and then even some accents and th- those are the things which i love to use in my uh, da capi yeah. so i love to change the accents in coloraturas yeah. i love to do jazz Be- yeah. because it's it's literally jazz of those right. times. Well, did you have any teacher or any um coach, you know, to help you understand how to write your own ornaments because this is something that I've noticed when you're singing that it sounds so original, you know. I mean, I always write my own ornaments and I got it from my teacher in in Warsaw, Anna Radziejewska. Mm. She is an amazing mezzo soprano and she was singing most of the things uh, I was singing during my studies. Mm-hmm. And uh, she 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 was telling me like you have to like just sit and f- like feel like what 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 do you feel and like try to write something just mm-hmm. just try mm-hmm. if you need help we can like talk about that we can check it yeah. and then I was bringing I, I was bringing some options for my arias when I was like very very early stage of my studies and then we were talking about those choices about my choices mm-hmm. we were just discussing like oh if it's if it really fits the the feeling the emotion of that area yeah, the, the character yeah, and yeah. like is the exactly the um, the affect is is right so then i i kind of started to understand what things in which types of areas are right. working and also so i was reading exactly like, yeah. and cantabile and all those all, all, all of those sorts of areas which are different have different little rules what you can do yeah. what you cannot and also i just read a lot of a lot of theses about yeah. those 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 Les things yeah. exactly so that's why i got really really actually excited about all of that because it's something that brought me to baroque music and that's yeah. why i i'm so fascinated about that it's this freedom like yeah. there is a structure there is a piece written by somebody and it's magnificent but yeah. like i can 
do something with it so it's also mine yeah. like the those ornaments or you can change even something in the in the b part or yeah. like the way you are singing it it's 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 yours it's mine yeah so i love it <laughs> so i have to say like talking to you um you come off actually as a very intelligent and like <laughs> mus- and musical person <laughs> musically intelligent but also thoughtful and i feel like you're being marketed right now as like this very attractive young guy and then there's also this breakdancing thing yes know? of course and i don't know how you feel about all this like you know like i, I can't you can't help but be beautiful that's you know i mean like i'm just trying to be myself i'm yeah. not trying i am myself yeah. but like it's sometimes of course it's frustrating when you always see the, the same comments like oh handsome guy mm-hmm. and like instead of like talking about singing yeah. there is like this comment about like how how you look, and we have this really funny saying in Poland, what you won't sing that well, you yeah. will just look good. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh my gosh. Can you say oh it in Polish gosh. so we know the saying? <laughs> okay, go like just... <laughs> Czego nie dośpiewasz, to dowyglądasz. Okay, yeah, I, totally, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, I think it's it, it doesn't really... Um, like offends me, you know, in, yeah. a, in a way. But like, I just don't want to become this kind of, you know, acrobatic, the pretty guy. Uh, because cir- circus I, monkey. Yeah, circus monkey. Because like, this is this is not how I feel. I yeah. of course would would love to use my skills. Yeah. But that's why, like in, for example, this production of Rinaldo in in Frankfurt, um, staged by uh, Ted Hoffman. He used my skills in a way that like nobody would say, oh, this is a breakdancer, but they would be really surprised of, oh my gosh, this guy is singing and doing all that stuff because we are starting the overture with a humongous fight with the with the with the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly physical, real fight for like mm-hmm. five minutes. And then suddenly I'm I'm singing the recit and then the rest of the yeah. the the opera and everybody is like shocked because yeah. what what happened just like a minute ago yeah. and that's what I love to do like to use my my physicality mm-hmm. in a way that it fits the character and fits the um, the production but I wouldn't like to do a recital and mm-hmm. sing two songs and then do a backflip and then <laughs> sing another two because that's senseless. That's just a show-off, which we don't need. And, uh, yeah. of course, there are places like photo shoots and, like, this whole marketing stuff, which I, I do for myself also, like, in this kind of um, breakdancy way. But it's not something that I, I, I do on a, I don't know, concert venue. I, I, yeah. You won't probably see me breakdancing, uh, singing Nisi Dominus by uh, yeah. Vivaldi or Stabat yeah. Mater by Pergolesi. Do you have any personal um, heroes that you listen to, singing heroes in opera or maybe even in a different, different discipline, you know? I mean, the thing is that I started in the choir, so my, like, idols were... the. Um, the King Singers. Sorry, I couldn't find it. They're gonna be it. here. The King Singers. I'm gonna invite are... you. They're here December 13th. Oh my the gosh! King. But I loved King Singers, and that's why I actually started to to, to sing yeah. more, more, more professionally. I, yeah. I went to my university because I, I thought like, oh, I want to sing better because I want to be one of the one of the King Singers one day. <laughs> but then I discovered the whole you know Baroque world, and yeah. that you know everything depends on you. So uh, that's why it, it, it changed a little bit. But like I loved listening to the King Singers yeah. or or other ensembles which were singing a lot of renaissance pieces mm-hmm. because i just love that music it it mm-hmm. just brings me a lot of a lot of joy it's very complex and complicated like i love harmony because yeah. i mean this is the most joyful thing to yeah. highlight this one note which is just so blue it's yeah. just so blue that it's just <laughs> ah, and that those notes are making people feel okay so is there any repertoire that you would like to work on that would, we would might find surprising? I mean, I heard you sing this Reynaldo Hahn song, which was blew me blew my mind. But Philippe Jaruski also did it, so it's not unprecedented. Is there something that you would love to sing that would be a surprise? I I think that we already started with my pianist some kind of a surprise, yeah. not only for for Polish people but for all the rest of the people, yeah. because we are singing uh, Karol Szymanowski's folk songs okay which were written for a soprano but okay. my pianist was like Michał Biel is yeah. my partner in crime yeah he's amazing he is you amazing you guys have to find these videos of you two together oh, you, gosh. The, he plays those violin parts like oh, in the Vivaldi arias 
like he is a harpsichordist, you know? Yeah, Maestro Luisi said like, oh my gosh, you are the best piano orchestra I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, just, uh, it's just crazy. And um, he, he is incredible and we have kind of a chemistry be- between us, but like we, he said that, oh, we should transpose those songs and you, you're going to be great in them. You're going to be great. And I was like, are you crazy? I'm going to be just like, ah, it's going to be so difficult and it's so high. Yeah. But we transposed those songs and we, we did the first uh, four of them and they are quite spectacular because th- those are songs based uh, on the folk melodies and they, they are about the problems of, of those like country people. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really interesting um, music. I feel like the Slavic music does do that a lot. I mean, like the, I think of now Russian, you know, songs. Yes, have, you know, those, they're just incredibly, stories, you know? some of them are like very alive, like very yeah. alive and very like kind of rhythmically jumpy. And, yeah. and then the other ones are like so smooth and so incredibly sad that even yeah. though I know that people don't know anything what's happening in yeah. the in the lyrics, yeah. they totally can feel what's okay, yeah. what's going on. So are you singing the Simonovsky in your Wigmore Hall? Yes. Oh, wow. mm. And when, that's June 13th. June 13th. That's coming soon. Yeah. Yes. We have a quite interesting program. I, we, we did a little little journey. So we are starting with with uh, with some Baroque um, Purcell yeah. songs, which those are our arrangements of oh, Purcell wow. songs. And then we go through with uh, Reinaldo Ann songs, with some Schubert. And then we have uh, Tadeusz Baird, mm, Baird, actually, because he's Polish. And then we finish with uh, Coloratura Aria, you know, <laughs> with, uh, with a handle, just to wrap it up a little bit. Okay, I want to give the young countertenors and the audience the chance to hear from you about these things. Two things, and we could wrap this up. Auditioning with Baroque music and how you prepare for auditions, because we talked about this yesterday. Yes. Yeah. I think, it, like, for me, it was a crucial thing. Uh, to Because as a countertenor, you have a lot of program, which is just... Not very well known. Like not yeah. not every pianist knows what is I Vedro don't know. Vedro Vedro <laughs> which is this is not the most difficult one to play. Yeah. But like those coloratura arias, the the piano reductions are not really playable. Yeah. You know that's why like you have to spend time and mm-hmm. do like kind of your own reduction in within that re- piano reduction. So. I've learned by uh, my own experience that, like, I prefer to bring my own pianist for the competition audition or for any kind of any sort of audition because then my performance at that audition mm-hmm. is like much much better. The quality I can produce is much much better because otherwise I had hundreds of situations when I was playing and somebody was just like not having it because it's yeah. really difficult to just yeah. read it and they are yeah. paid just to do like those 20 auditions yeah. with 20 other other, other, <laughs> other, other <laughs> people and yeah. it's it's just like you cannot even be angry at those people because yeah. like why would they you know know those pieces and yeah. they have like 30 or 40 different pieces to, yeah. to learn yeah. for that one audition and, 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 and you know it's just very tricky so like I decided that mm, I'm going to always take my pianist and I have to say that for my career I think it worked very well very well because I always I always used my my pianists and it was the quality was like always there because I could I could trust my my supporter and I could actually collaborate within the audition and that's why like audition never was like Kind of like, addition, it's addition. It's like kind of a little concert, oh, you yeah. know? Just like, yeah, oh, should, what would you yeah. like to hear the second piece, <laughs> you know? Uh, this, okay, of course. <laughs> then you are like much more relaxed because you can rely on your, on your, on your pianist. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so sad that we're out of time, but, you know, I think everybody who interviews you asked you this last question, and I'm going to have to ask you. Will you please break dance for us right now? For, okay. For our video oh, of, of course I will. Of course I will. And you will see everything. It's going to be like... <laughs> Jakob Josef Orlinski, thank you so much for being on Opera Box Score. Thank you so much. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. 
Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendantin Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is OBS Hall of Famer, our enthusiastic, yet humble, salute to a distinguished opera artist who has gone above and beyond to contribute greatly, distinctively, and with grand significance to the art and honor of opera. With an introduction like Ooh. that. Oh, man, that's the good Ooh. stuff. Bias, right? This better be good. Hey, it's Opera Box Score, WNUR, 89.3 FM. Number in the studio, 847-866-9687 at Twitter, at Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist. We got Oliver Camacho here tonight. The oldest in the cast. We've got <laughs> Tobias Wright. The hairiest in the game. We've got Matt Cummings. Neither the shortest nor tallest. And I think that's it, right? Oh, no. What about Weston? The most short-sighted of the entire group. Uh, The OBS Hall of Fame. When I walk down the hallowed corridors of the OBS Hall of Fame, Fame. it's right next to Studio 3 here at WNUR. The floor's a little sticky. There's marble just Everywhere. The, light, the lighting is low. Acoustics are amazing, though. Yeah, it's that. acoustically perfect. Yeah. The T- Hall of Fame. Yeah. Tobias Wright, lead well, us down that corridor. So, I'm glad that we've started this Hall of Fame segment. Um, it might. This might be up there. That what is about to happen. And I have no idea where we're going to end up, but it's one of the happiest segments I've ever been a part of because <laughs> I stumbled into opera accidentally, and my first operatic hero was. None other than Luciano Pavarotti. Uh, from who? Who? <laughs> uh, from Modena, Italy. Um, the, one of the most recognizable um, voices and personalities in opera in the 20th. In popular and, culture. And in yeah. popular like, culture. When people think opera, they think Luciano Pavarotti. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, his career spanned five different decades in the entire globe. Uh, personally speaking, he was my first hero, as I said. Um, Kenya? And I've spent... Countless hours watching interviews, (laughs) listening to and collecting all of his recordings and reading about the man that would later become known as the King of High Seas. Just a little bit of background information. He debuted as Rodolfo in La Boheme at Teatro Municipale in Reggio Emilia, 1961. And his final bow was performing an aria he became synonymous with Nessun Dorma in the Winter Olympics in Torino in in 2006. He died in the Mm. fall of 2007 after a long battle with pancreatic cancer. Anyway, I love Pavarotti. (laughs) <laughs> um, and there's so many I think part of the reason that I love him uh, was his personality and that's not unique to me and I don't think that's unique to anybody even sitting in this panel um, but there's the personality but there's also then the fact that he has an intensely recognizable voice and you hear it and there's it cannot be confused it's like a ray of sunshine I was about to say that exact same thing <laughs> it's, it's bright it's pristine. It's so clear with the tone, um, and it's artistic. And I love the man, and I love the voice, and that's why he's in the OBS Hall of Fame. For sure, though, that has to be the most distinguished honor he will ever receive. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, he receives it posthumously. So. Oh. It's true. It's but true. he's watching us from above. And so, he's very happy. Tobias, what would you like to listen to first with us? Okay, so as I said. Uh, he was my first operatic hero. So the first recording that we're going to listen to is uh, from a recording in 1979, La Scala in Milano. And it is um, from La Boheme. He was singing Rodolfo here. His Mimi um, was his childhood friend, Mirella Freni, which mm. I thought was interesting I, that they were childhood friends and then went on to have massive international operatic careers. Um, but the reason, well, let's just, can we just play the clip? So this is him singing the aria 
uh, in Act One, uh, where Rodolfo has just met Mimi, and he's singing Que Jerry Ramanina. George, I really thought you were going to end that recording before he sang. <laughs> I was just teasing you, bro. Just making sure you're paying attention. I was going to start pounding on windows <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> we want our C. <laughs> I forget if it's that recording, but it's another one that's earlier where after he sings that phrase and there's that little bit of silence, you hear the audience go, oh, like that. Like you literally hear the audience collectively inhale. So. He, when he finishes the next, uh, yeah. when he finishes that, I, the... It's not an applause that happens. Yeah. It is an explosion. And I mean, screaming, and it's awesome. The reason that this particular recording, though, is important to me is a dear friend of mine. I was in the music library at the University of Kansas. Um, <laughs> and a dear friend of mine was like, hey, have you ever heard Pavarotti sing La Boheme? And I'm like, Pava who? La Bo what? <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me right now? I was like, nah, I, I can't know what I don't know. What are you talking about? Um, and he brought up on his phone this recording and I can remember sitting there with my mouth open and I cried and I had literally no idea that the human voice was capable of that and that music could be that beautiful and I went home that day and this is why I chose Pavarotti to induct him into the Hall of Fame and because Oliver told me it was okay um, <laughs> I went home that day and I that was when my also love for YouTube started because I spent hours, and I cried more than I've ever cried. I d had no idea, and it literally changed my life, this little video um, in this dimly lit La Scala <laughs> I'm gonna put attic. Matt, I, I want you to continue, but I'm going to put Matt on the spot for a second just to maybe, since I feel like he does a good job of this, explain why that tone quality, which to me, like, as a tenor, and you're a tenor, and you're a tenor, sure. like... He like rides. I just wanted to get it out there that I love this changed my life. No, no, and it should, you yeah. know. But how like his voice sort of like rides the knife's edge and how like as singers we know what he's doing. So what is it when you hear? What are you hearing? And what can you like, be acknowledge about Pavarotti's technique and tone? So. His sound has uh that internal smile in it and he keeps it all the way up to the very top of his range where uh I I'd say a more caught and even though he does other things to, you know, make make the transition from middle voice into his, into his top notes feel smooth and effortless. You never feel like there's uh I never feel like there's a gear shift. There's always yeah. still a lot of uh brightness and and there's always a lot of warmth to it through, throughout the whole the whole thing. Well, and I chose this particular part um of that aria because when you start at talor yeah. it's you have to you're constantly that entire phrase you're going up in passaggio above it down below right into it again and that's what makes singing que gelera so hard que gelera, excuse me and then if you listen to the final phrase when he sings la speranza you talk about not engaging the mechanism and getting in your yeah. own way it is a voice lesson and if you yeah. go if anybody wants to listen to that clip it's easily found on youtube but you can hear his voice change because he allows it to change and so the vowels manipulate themselves you never hear Pavarotti and think oh there he covered on purpose I mean sometimes he would darken his vowels but you can literally hear him change la speranza and it opens up to the top and it's just glorious but I don't but I, yeah but you don't hear you don't hear the mechanics of it right even though that's what he's doing well if you yes I guess my point is that if you're listening you can 
you can find them, yes. but you don't. It never sounds like that's what he was doing. It's mm-hmm. a really effortless voice. Yeah, yeah. With and I, we're going to talk about that. Um, there, with, this next clip actually, and and so he kind of uh, the second clip here is him singing Tonio in the Daughter of the Regiment at the Metropolitan Opera in 1972, after which he did receive a record. Uh, number of curtain calls. Does anybody, Matt? You can't answer this. Does anybody in the studio know how many curtain calls he oh, got after this shoot. aria? Um, I'm gonna go with uh, thirty. I like that. That's <laughs> optimism. Okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you know? Well, it's right here. It's in our notes. I mean, I would have said curtain calls. I mean, like five would yeah. be a big. Five number. would be as an audience member. That's a big number. Yeah. I would clapping. be like, all right, that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> he got seventeen. Yeah. Um, oh, and man. so we talk about. We, uh, Weston, you mentioned just the ease of the voice, and then I think, um, well, George, can we can we just play the clip and then we'll talk about yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. <laughs> It's Opera Box score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're talking with Tobias Wright going through the OBS Hall of Fame with your legend, Tobias, mm-hmm. um, Luciano Pavarotti. Yeah, and so you hear him singing those Cs. And this this aria is famous for the high Cs, though I think the tenors in the room would all agree that's not necessarily the hardest part. But that being said, Caruso didn't have Cs. Uh Hmm. Domingo doesn't really have, never really had a reliable C. Not all tenors have this access to that sound. And when you listen to that, those are laser beams that are in the center of the pitch. He sings with such a beautiful line and such a clarity of tone. And that's why it's so astonishing and why people erupt. And he's not really the type of voice that you would expect to hear this singing this aria today. It's kind of moved more towards the lighter ones where the C is. a little bit lower in their range, the yeah. like the Larry Bramleys and the Juan Diego no, Floreses, like, who have a whole fourth above that. that Pavarotti can, can make a, a high A sound very exciting, you know. Yeah. Mm. But high C is thrilling, you know. Yeah. Whereas like a Juan Diego Flores type of voice, as much as I love him, like a you know, high C just sounds yeah. like average. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like middle voice. <laughs> like he talks on high C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, what I love about hearing Pavarotti sing that aria is he is so cocky about it you know he kind of throws his voice around just enough to bring the character to life and also to show the audience that he that he knows what he's doing and then they're in for a show yeah and so i agree with that and it was his personality that he shared that also made people love him and that's another reason that i think he deserves to be in the hall of fame is because (laughs) it's so funny that i say that as if we have any authority (laughs) oh my god i think he deserves like we're gonna kick out Pavarotti. you know yeah but um he so he had already become an international star, and I think this was the point uh, in which the United States really almost kind of adopted him as one of their own, as a, one of their own star opera singers that they could go see and, and be a part of. Um, about two years later, uh, he appeared, well, he appeared on Time Magazine, the cover of Time Magazine, um, and then Newsweek, and the Newsweek said he was the Prince of Tenors, and I just want to brag and say that I have that framed, Aww. and it is Aww. on my fireplace. And it is next. Oh, yeah, we, we have yeah. a mantelpiece. You, you just sit there going, "One day." Is that next to your like your your decanter of portage? No, but it is right next to our record player. Yeah. It is next to a record player, <laughs> and it is also next to a big picture of Enrico Caruso. You hipsters, <laughs> get you out! To, you have to wear an ascot when you <laughs> sit in the chair next to the fire. Where's your smoking jacket? <laughs> yeah. So so he become he became this you know massive public figure, and his fame continued to rise. Well, he he already had a massive figure. Oh, he was, well, you know, that's one thing that a lot of critics of Pavarotti's will say is that he was ungraceful on stage. He was too big to act. And, like, 
to an extent, yeah, no, he wasn't a great actor, but he no. knew that and he acknowledged it and he said, but I have the voice. And you know, when, there's video of him, and when he was younger, he tried harder. Like, sure. but the more he became like Paparotti, the more he realized that people well, really just I, came to hear him. Sing, I've seen you know? some some clips later in his career. If 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 he was put with a director who wasn't afraid yeah. to tell Pavarotti what to do, yeah, he could pull out a comedy. His Nemorino is really sweet. Yeah. If you watch his mm-hmm. Elixir of Love, like he's adorable and, and a character who's yeah. just like a ray of sunshine. Yeah. You know, the right. pure humanity yeah. showing through, and that's really what he excelled at. He's always he always feels natural. Yeah, but like a, like a poet, philosopher, like Andre Chenier type of thing, like. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so it's gonna sound good, but yeah. <laughs> so people started to really love who he was as a person, and then they started to see him uh, when he started. So he had more public appearances, and in 1981 he was on the Johnny Carson show, mm. um, and furthering his fame. But I, I just wanted to share a quote that Pavarotti uh, had, and it's this is in the book Devo: Great Tenors, Baritones, and Basses Discuss Their Roles. Um, and this is just a quote. He said, I'm a real singer, very professional. <laughs> Ergo, <laughs> I am an internal student, which is possibly my greatest quality. I also have a natural flair for phrasing that can be neither bought nor acquired. This is all a little bit arrogant. <laughs> just a bit. As a human being, I have goodwill for people, which must, I suppose, be counted as a quality because they, in turn, are full of goodwill towards me. It boils down to a mutual exchange of love. And so there's a few things from this quote that I think tie into the next clip. He talks about being an internal student. Um, he studied, he spent seven years learning his technique as a young man uh, before ever applying that technique to any um, operatic repertoire, um, at least putting it on stage. But what he did was he applied it to the Italian art songs. And Matt, can you talk a little bit about Italian art songs and kind of your opinion on that? Yeah, they don't don't have, well, it's not, my sense is that Italian art songs are not respected as much as a French or a German art song in terms mm. of their artistic merits. They're kind of seen more as parlor songs, fun songs, cute songs, happy songs, but they're not necessarily serious right. in the same kind of way. But when you get when you have one delivered, like he could deliver a song, mm-hmm. you would you wouldn't know. And so in this song by Francesco Paolo Tosti, L'ultima canzone, the final song um, he, this is on the Johnny Carson show, and it's a hilarious interview. They get along swimmingly because Johnny Carson's awesome, and then Pavarotti's awesome. Um, and this is one of my favorite art songs, and a song that Pavarotti sang for his entire career. That level of expressiveness, when you can hear those vowels, those consonants so clearly, could he get away with that because he was Italian, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so he he had the ability to play with text and to play with the sound, and he also had the ability. There's no conductor in an art song, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it really comes down to you and the collaborator. And he and uh, Maestro Wustman, who was the pianist here, um, had, a, had a collaborative uh, partnership that lasted for decades. Um, Woosman played his American recital, his international recital debut at um, William Jewell College in Kansas City, um, and they worked together all the way up until um, some of his last recitals here in the United States. And um, I had the chance to work with Mr. Woosman, and it was interesting to hear him talk about Porati. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, he was a brilliant man who loved creating. Um, and it wasn't necessary. Like people like to say that he wasn't a great musician and that he couldn't read music, but it, you can't tell me when you listen to that 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 person's not a great musician. When you sing with that much uh, musicianship and you sing mm. with that line and you, you, can, you can inflect and share the tone of both uh, the language and I the I want sound. you to get to that clip, but I'm going to push back on that. I think that musicianship and musicality are different things. Okay, so you don't think that... Say more. No, no, I want to, we, that's a whole other 
topic, topic fight, another fight, day. So, fight, yeah, yeah. fight. He's very musical, and yeah. but you would yeah. never, you would never mistake him for an academic. Yeah. No, definitely mm. not. I guess sure. We'll we'll talk about that when yeah. we go out for a drink after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say though, I I'm 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 kind of in Toby's camp after listening to. Um, that I, I never heard him sing that art song before you gave us the clip for the show. And um, I, I've always known him from the big, you know, showstoppers, the big galas, the big, uh, the big operas where he's mm -hmm. not really acting, he's just standing there and singing just directly at the crowd. And to hear that level of expression, not just in terms of just vocal quality, but in terms of knowledge of the text was surprising to me and surprisingly effective too um, right. um well he's in his native tongue and so he gets yeah. to play with it and, and he, I, he rarely sang outside of italian mm, there was a reason <laughs> and, again, and again so i mean you would talk about mu musicianship and I, I your languages that's part of that you know that's part yeah. of artistry and certainly he you can listen to him sing the french and and it's there are things that or are the english yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the english or the english no but i mean yeah, there, there's a, um, a clear, he goes into a different place when he sings these art songs. And really, Weston, if, uh, I have CDs on CDs of him just singing art songs. and mm. it's Yeah, him and a piano in Italian, it's kind of hard to beat. So. Oh, it's amazing. And yeah. they're all over YouTube. Um, let's, go, let's go to the next clip. So we'll, okay, we'll yeah. So we'll music. go to the next clip. We talk about this, the, well, so he, when he sings the art songs, he's singing purely and he's not really performing or being a character or trying to produce anything other than just what the music is. And so the next character is Nemorino from L'Elysia d'Amore, uh, Donizetti. And it was one of Pavarotti's favorite characters to play. And he said that one of the reasons that um, he loved playing this character was he had his flaws, but he was uncomplicated in his nature and pure in his love. Um, and that's Nemorino. And so this is Una Furtiva Lagrima. goes wild so it's that da damor it's so hard after you sing that a mm -hmm. the, getting that i think it's on a uh, on a f or that whatever that aval on that note i've no i've tried to sing this i before i could sing everything except for that one well, like, and he does it <sighs> yeah but he I mean, sings it ah he really sings an italian ah you and know and it and feels like a hug you know yeah it does it really mm. does and the any the apportamenti down it's a, it's amazing and you know there are probably better clips mm -hmm. from elixir of love that we could have played yeah. that would show the playfulness um but i just i think that that particular aria is I mean, it's beautiful. He knew he had that audience in his palm of his hand. <laughs> it's, it's just beautiful for beautiful sake, and I'm always okay with that yeah. in opera. And it's um, so exposed, and it's just melody and like ostinato bass, you know. Yeah. So you can't hide in that aria at all, you know. Tobias, yeah. what are you going to take us out on? Well, so Oliver, you kind of touched on it. It wasn't just stardom in the operatic field or pop stardom. He was a, a sensation. A sensation, mm -hmm. and. Part of that happened in, I mean, he already had a massive career by the time this happened. But the next thing we're going to hear is the 1990, it's the opening concert from the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. With, hey, topical. Um, and yeah. this is this concert was in Milano, and he sang Nessun Dorma from Turando. And it, the BBC, actually, in their broadcast of it, um, of the World Cup, kind of started using this as their outro and intro for everything. So it kind of became the unofficial anthem. And so millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people, perhaps, because of World Cup. I don't know if that many people were watching then, but got exposed to Pavarotti and got to hear this. And so this is him singing Nessun Dorma. Well, and the World Cup being in Italy that year, yeah, of course, was a big 
Well, and this help. this yeah. led to the three tenors. This led to Pavarotti and Friends. This led to I mean those are the arena concerts. This that... led yeah. This led to him selling out. This is a Central Park with five hundred thousand people, or the Eiffel Tower concert with three hundred thousand people. This is kind of the uh, birth of that idea. I mean, it so perfectly encapsulates sports, opera, <laughs> passion. This idea of vincero, of I will win, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how could you not? I'm crying here in studio. E- even how, though it, Italy only got third in the World well, Cup well, that well, year. Who cares, but. dog? It, like, that is just so beautiful. Really got first. We Winner, all... West Germany. TBT, <laughs> everybody. <Yeah. laughs> uh. Tobias Wright inducting Luciano Pavarotti into the OBS Hall of Fame. Thanks, Thanks, pal. Thanks for letting me indulge. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is John Williams. No, not that John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxerschwartz.com. V-O-X-E-R. S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review and you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera now that winter is finally over in Chicago. No, really, it's finally over. It's never going to snow again, I hope. We are back next week on Monday, May 6th, with a brand new show live in studio. Please join us for that. This is WNUR FM and HD, Evanston, Chicago. Chicago's Sound Experiment.